I hear the voice of my grandmother calling me. I hear the voice of my grandmother calling. Wake up, wake up, she says, wake up, wake up. Listen, 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 listen. May the rivers all run free. May the mountains be unspoiled. May the air be pure. May the trees grow up tall. May the earth be shared by all. I hear the voice of my grandmother calling me. I hear the voice of my grandmother calling. Wake up, wake up. She says, wake up, wake up. Listen, 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 listen. May the rivers all run free. May the mountains be unspoiled. May the air be pure. May the trees grow up tall. May the earth be shared by all. May the air be pure. May the trees grow up tall. May the earth be shared by all. Hello and welcome to the Womb-Centered Healing Podcast. I'm Sama Morningstar. And before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to share a few announcements with you about what's going on this winter of 2020 2021 in the womb centered healing temple so as you may be aware uh, the herbal womb wellness workbook is soon to be published and available it will be published on lulu and we will be um, i'll be making it available to those who purchase the workbook to join me for monthly circle calls and in a in sort of a book club format, uh, it'll be fairly ongoing. There are many options for getting involved uh, with working with this wonderful workbook. Um, some more in depth than others. There will be a 13-week more intensive course to go with the workbook, and uh, of course, the workbook is included in the Biomystical Womb Apprenticeship Program and all of these other courses and and circle calls are included in that program as well. Speaking of the Biomystical Womb Apprenticeship Program, I'm also making it uh, available uh, sort of a la carte, uh, if you will, because there are eight phases in the Biomystical Womb Apprenticeship that go throughout the course of a 13-month program. But each phase is a standalone program of about a month to six weeks. Um, There's one phase that's, I think, more like seven or eight weeks. And so keep an eye out on the website. Uh, The phases include pre-birthing, which is another term for ancestral healing, Uh, rebirthing, which is the phase that we're in now at the time of recording this, December 2020. Uh, the next one will be remothering, and the following one will be coming of age. And then there will be a creative fertility and a creative partnership phase. And then there's the enchantress phase and the wise one phase. So if you're interested in any of this, I encourage you to visit wombcenteredhealing.com, uh, the Womb Centered Healing Temple um, website. and check out, look at all the different options in the menu, and reach out to me if you would like to join us for any of these offerings. All right, that's all for now. Uh, I encourage you to enjoy this episode, and until next time. Hello, and welcome to the Womb-Centered Healing Podcast. I'm Sama Morningstar, and I have Eden here with me today. Thank you so much for joining us, Eden. You're uh, welcome. Yeah, a, a, a woman that I have interviewed before on the podcast, Sophia Wiseland, uh, hooked Eden and I up after they 
had a connection, I guess, over on Clubhouse in the evening and I had a conversation and agreed that it would be lovely to come on the podcast together. So thank you so much for joining us and for being willing to share with our audience here about your womb-centered healing journey. So Eden, would you please introduce yourself a little bit more? Tell us about where you're from, where you're at, and um, and why you want to talk about your womb-centered healing journey and, and what it's about. Okay. So hello, everyone. My name is Eden Gabrielle Edge. I um, interjected my middle name there because I just think it's so lonely and forgotten. And, <laughs> <Some other. laughs> and I am 35 now and I don't get to say my middle name often. So there it is. Um, I am the wife of one and the mother of three. I have a 16 year old, I have a 13 year old and a 12 year old. And believe it or not, it's not as hormonal in the house as you would think. I, <laughs> the female is the 12 year old. The males are the 13 and 16 year old. Um, and the female is the most grounded. <laughs> so, yes, I, I am from a small town called America's Georgia. And I'm currently in, I'm residing in Stockbridge, Georgia, which is 20 minutes away from downtown Atlanta. So it's, um, I would just, if anyone asks, I would just say Atlanta, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here today and grateful for this opportunity because um, throughout my journey, I have recognized that there's a lot that I did not understand about myself. And there's a lot that I'm in conversation with. And I realized that other women don't understand about themselves. There are also a lot of different dynamics about our wombs and our vaginas that have been suppressed. And I do believe that my story is not for me to be selfish with. It is for me to share it. Um, all stories, sometimes don't have happy endings. I have typically been one that have always looked for a happy ending in a story, but I do know that whether it has a happy ending for me or a not so welcoming ending, the story itself is beneficial and all of them are learning opportunities. And I wanna be able to give that someone to someone. I want someone to hear what I have to say and learn from it or just understanding a different um, perspective or a different viewpoint or just hear an experience. So that's, that's me. <laughs> Beautiful. So, so when you look back at your journey and your experience and your story, <clears throat> where does womb-centered healing fit in? And, you know, a lot of people, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of people that I ask these types of questions of sort of realize in retrospect that their womb-centered healing journey began way before they realized it began. And so I invite you to reflect on if you had a womb-centered healing journey in your, throughout your life and you might not have even known that that was going on that you were healing things around your womb. Where did it start for you? To be honest, I believe it started now. Mm. Um, and I say that because up until when I, up until when I, um, lost my first, um, had my first um, miscarriage or it was ectopic pregnancy, there were things about my womb that I didn't know. Uh, I knew it carried a baby. That was it. And that I, I hardly knew. <laughs> um, but it wasn't until I lost the baby that I started trying to figure out why. And the why led me down. That's when the journey began to find 
I guess, that center. Now, at this point in my life, I'm, um, that particular miscarriage happening, and then I experienced another one um, in 2020, led me to create something, uh, I guess, to give resources as to, okay, these are things that you should use for your body instead of these. That thing allowed me to come into connection with other women who were like-minded and started sharing their stories. And then all these different aha moments came. Mm -hmm. um, funny thing, I, I, I had an aha moment last week. I was listening to your podcast um, with Isabella or Isabel and um, she's Hispanic culture and she was talking about um the uh you were talking about the the rite of passage and she was saying how the, the i think it's pronounced king sierra and she was saying you know that's how we come into a rite of passage and then you you know said to her well you know there's nothing in that that talks about the 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 menstruation um, the bleeding, you know, anything about that process. And so even that was an aha moment for me, like, wow, you know? So it's like, I'm continuing, the, 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 the journey is just blossoming, I guess. <laughs> well, so I'm curious though, because you kind of answered my question in two ways. You, okay. At first you said that your healing, the womb center healing journey is starting now. But then as you were talking about it, you talked about uh, your first um, ectopic pregnancy. And am I correct to assume that that was before you had these three children that you described? It is not. Okay, so could you situate that for us? Like, the, were these all three children, children that you birthed from your womb? So the older two, I birthed from my womb. Okay. And to give a timeline, um, I birthed my first child in 2004. Okay. My second was in 2007. Um, my third child, I did not birth from my womb. Um, but the third time that I was pregnant was in 2012. And that was the ectopic pregnancy. Okay. Um, which I guess if we are going about it that way, that is when I became aware that something isn't right. Mm -hmm. It was more so because I didn't understand and no one was able to tell me why I had two perfectly um, healthy pregnancies before and then a failed one. Mm -hmm. And again, like I said, there was no, a doctor didn't give me any explanation. Mm -hmm. And any doctor that spoke to me about it didn't talk about what happened, only the fact that they kind of made it seem like now um, we've removed the tube, so you're less likely to get pregnant. And they said it in a way that it was something beneficial, which raised a lot of concern for me because there was never any discussion on if I in fact wanted to bear more children um, or how this happened. It was me doing the research on my own um, and figuring out what could have caused it to happen, which was most likely um, birth control that I was using as well as um, the sanitary products. Mm -hmm. Well, there, there's something burning in me over here. Uh, <laughs> we talked about burning questions before we began our recording, but this is a burning rage at doctors that would would make an assumption like that, that it would be beneficial for you not to, to have. Very hurtful. Care. Very hurtful. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's pretty systemic, though, that uh, that doctors, especially in relating to women of your complexion in this country, have the mm -hmm. attitude. So I'm imagining this might not be the first time that you'd been uh, offended in that way by by people in the medical profession. And I just want to take a moment to um, be with that uh, and and hold that because it is painful and um, bring care 
to that and perhaps um, invite healing, uh, healing energies from whatever resources we have to that moment. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that soothes my burning and hopefully it soothes yours around that as well. It does. And, and I hope that this, that experience, have you been able to find um, uh, professional womb, womb health professionals that do honor your, your reproductive sovereignty? No. In the medical profession or where else have you looked besides traditional? Um, in 2015, I started going to um, a chiropractor. Uh-huh. And I know if someone, uh, for people that are listening, like, okay, why are we going to a chiropractor for uh, your womb? <laughs> um, this, I actually was working for the chiropractor and it was, he practices straight chiropractic. So it's all on the holistic side. No um, pills, injections, uh, machines, anything like that. And what he told me, what he wrote down was that, um, of course, chiropractic manip manipulations are done on the spine and the spine holds the nerves. And of course, the nerves tell the body what to do, you know, so the spine is like the control center that holds, you know, these nerves. And so I made him aware of what I had experienced. And so he and I the first thing um, that we did was try to get my cycle back because I had not had a menstrual cycle that was um, since the 2012 um, ectopic pregnancy. And- Wait, wait, and wait, wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. You had not had a menstrual cycle since, and this was, when was this? So from 2012 until 2015. 15. For three yes. years after that surgery, you had not had a menstrual, you'd not, you had not bled. You may have Correct. been ovulating. You may have been having other parts of your menstrual cycle, but mm -hmm. for some reason you weren't bleeding. Correct. And no doctors were able to tell you anything about that. I refrained from going to the doctors after, after I had my of surgery. Of course. After that experience with that doctor, why would you go back? Um, but then you started this job at this chiropractor. chiropractor. Yes. You started to learn about this different approach to medicine of like, okay, if there's a pinch on one of these nerves that's feeding your womb, then yep. something's not right. It's not getting the messages that it needs. Okay. So you started to learn about that after two years of or three years of no menstruation. So, Correct. all right. I just wanted to clarify <laughs> all of that. Uh, that is correct. Okay. Um, so then did you get treatments from him? I got adjustments um, four times a week for it was about six weeks. It had been six weeks that I had been receiving uh, four adjustments a week. And at six weeks, I had my first menstrual cycle since 2012. Wow. And had you, did, did you have any structural body pain to indicate that there was anything pinched? You didn't have any low back pain. Had you had low back pain at all during your menstruation before she's shaking her head? No. For those who are listening on the, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I realized they didn't hear that, but I saw you. Okay. So no, she hadn't had any structural body pain, did, but maybe when you did menstruate before, when you did bleed before, did you ever have any intense pain or symptoms that might've been associated with this? Or do you think that, you know, go ahead and answer that. I'm going to, I'm going to say no, only because I, I, I do believe I'm, I'm, I'm pain tolerant on some aspects, but having a cycle had never been painful for me. Um, I've heard I had classmates when I was in high school that literally could not come to school because of how their cramps were um, or heavy bleeding. That was never the case with me. Like I 
could barely tell that my cycle was coming on. Like usually this is as a teenager, you know, usually you have those indicators. When I became uh, an adult, I started um, feeling tenderness in my breast, but that was it. There was no back pain, no, no pain whatsoever. Um, there was, there was, even if I just, you know, just sat and just think back, there was nothing that said, okay. And, and to be honest, I just, I didn't know what I thought, but I was too afraid to go and have it checked out. Um, did you, one thing, did you have things you should have had checked out? Well, the fact that I didn't have a cycle, I believed, and, and I didn't want, there were two reasons that I did not want to have a doctor look. The first reason was I didn't want them to overlook that I did want to bear children mm -hmm. um, because that was the experience, which the ectopic pregnancy, that surgery and the recovery in the, the facility was just a horrible situation on its own. But when that happened, it was like, I just, I don't want to go to a doctor because I don't want them to not care mm -hmm. and I don't want them to find something and tell me that I'm not going to be able to have children. So those were the two reasons that I didn't want to go to a doctor. And so when I came across the chiropractor and it was, um, you know, I can help you figure out if we can remove this blockage and then it happened, it was soothing. Um, and it was very comforting because he cared, you know, more mm -hmm. about what was going on through my body than my primary care physician. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So, uh, and do you feel that he was supportive of you wanting to have more children? He was supportive of your reproductive sovereignty? Yes. Oh, celebration. Thank you. I'm yes. So <laughs> yes. Now, and not only, not only him, um, in, in the office, um, where I, when I worked there, it was him, his wife was the office manager. There was a front desk person and there were um, two others. So I think there were like six or seven employees in the facility. And on Mondays, when we had our Monday meetings, we always had to talk about, um, we were always encouraged to talk about a win for the week prior to, and it became an, uh, a collective thing. So I was able to announce in the meeting, hey, I got my cycle. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> Who else announced at the work meeting? Right. And it was a their period, right? <laughs> and it was a celebration. And it was not only was it a win for me, but it was a win for the chiropractor as well, because this is something of, of his efforts. So that's the environment that I was I was in. Um, and for three for for two years that was the, the environment. And so um, I had my cycle um, for, for two years there. I also started acupuncture while I was there. Um, so there was, a, there was an acupuncturist who yes. worked in that facility in conjunction yes. with Uh-huh, mm -hmm. so did you start acupuncture before you started your cycle or was it just from the chiropractic adjustments you were getting that you feel that your cycle came back? It was just from the chiropractic adjustments. Uh -huh. And and I have to say this, make sure that I say this, it was also my diet. Ah, what were you changing in your diet at that time? I took out fast food. Oh, like how often had you been eating fast food? Like what, Carl's Jr., McDonald's? What were you eating? McDonald's. McDonald's double cheeseburger was my favorite. Oh, McDonald's double cheeseburger. Oh my gosh, I remember those. Okay, so <laughs> what, how did you decide to do that? What, what information did you get? Get this. So working for the chiropractor, we were not allowed to. You weren't allowed? We weren't allowed. It was like, grounds for termination. If you showed up with, with, with or was caught. If you were seen at a McDonald's, a Burger King, a Taco Bell, anything fast food and fast off, off time. Uh, even on your off time. Yes. And it was even, I'm telling you, it was a, it was a, it was a beautiful place. Um, our breaks, we had an hour and a, and a half long for lunch. 
And that was so you had the time to either go home and fix something or to sit down and eat something at a restaurant. Wow, I've never heard of this. I wonder how common practice that is. <laughs> because, you know, it's not very American to tell uh, people what they can eat and what they can't it's eat. It's not very common either. <laughs> I talk to people now and they're like, I have 30 minutes. I'm like, what are you going to do with 30 minutes? Like, so it was, and, and, and not only myself, but my family, we all, we all stopped. We took fast food out of the diet. Oh, wow. Your family got on board. Yes. Why did they do that? Did you convince them? What happened? I did. Well, and I, I said, well, if, if my family, we do everything together. Um, and, and, uh, even though I have teenagers, we just, it's, we do everything together. So when we eat, we don't do a lot of, oh, I want this. I want this. So we eat together. So if I can't partake in it, then we're not doing it. And oh my goodness, you need to bottle that magic sauce. <laughs> I'm be a gazillionaire. You already are, I don't know. But if you bottle that sauce up, it's going to happen again. Yes. Because I can tell you there's- For me of, and my body. Yeah, and there's tons of moms out there that make a dietary change and their family is not going along. There are. <laughs> so if you can bottle up whatever magic sauce you have that got that has your family totally on board, they only eat what you eat. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, bottle it up. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna figure it out. <laughs> and my, my this is the thing though. My husband, he's the cook. I don't cook. <laughs> and you have him cooking what you want to eat. Yes. Wow. That's and my husband, magic sauce right there. It is. My husband, he, I think he wants more children just as much as I do. And he's, he cares about my, my womb health, health. He, he is always, my husband and I, we've been married um, this year will be the 10th year, but we dated in high school and a, um, a little bit in college, kind of off and on, but I, and I was, um, the things that I do know and that I learned without being in school, um, which was really nothing, but the things I learned about just by vagina and how my reproductive system worked mainly came from him. And so did you have your first child with him? I did. My yeah. first and second child with him. Okay. And then this last one, is it an adopted it's, it's his child. There was a, a moment when we were off and he started dating uh, someone else and then they had a child. And then it, he decided, you know what? I know I'm with this person, but I want her back. So then we got back together and then got married. And you'd already had the first two children. Yes. Had another child with enough and that child came along with your family. Yes, for the most part. <laughs> uh, maybe they visit the mom sometimes. Well, she, she, she's with her mom primarily, but we see her every weekend and all holidays. So it's pretty much the same okay. um, or whatever she chooses to, she's with us. So, okay. Gotcha. Wow. Fascinating. So, uh, I have, a, there's a burn, there was a burning question back. Come here. on with it. Come okay. on. <laughs> so, um, uh, I'm really curious about the um the starting point what initiated this contraction in in your spine in your pelvis in your structures in your system after having born two healthy babies mm -hmm. and we haven't talked about your pregnancies your childbirth experiences mm -hmm. yet those could be involved uh, and it doesn't just have to be the second one. It could have been the, the first one and the second one combined and the postpartum care that you received in recovering from those is often mm -hmm. the case. And I don't know if your chiropractor talked to you about that, that, that our bones change when we give birth, our bone mm -hmm. opens up and there are indigenous traditions of, I don't know if you've heard of the closing the bones ceremony where the, uh, where, and other postpartum practices that, um, 
help our bodies come back together. And when that doesn't happen, the body creates tension patterns to stabilize because the pelvis is destabilized and we need our pelvis to be stable to be moving around, especially when you're raising several children. Right. <laughs> right. I stable. found this out. What you're saying, I found that out. You two found it out. Ago. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yes, two weeks ago. All right. And so nobody had told you about postpartum care. Nobody had told you about putting your hips back together. And hence, eventually after so how long was it after your second child was born that you had the ectopic pregnancy it was five years okay so you um yes it was five years so okay. this is what this is this is the 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 there's all there's a, a space that five-year space and this is where i have started to that was when your husband now husband then not husband yet right he wasn't your husband yet right. five years that was when he also went off and was with another woman and left you as a single mom for a period of time during those five years after your second child was born isn't that right from 2000 so he it was about it was about a year it was about a, a year during time that, frame that that during that five, within those five years there was a year right mm -hmm. okay and what else were you going to say about those five years so that is when i described the time and that's that's how i have started to describe it as me suppressing my my womb i was on birth control uh-huh i was on um and you hadn't been ever taking birth control before I had, but this was a different one. This was the IUD. Uh -huh. The birth control that I, I so in, in 2004, after I had my first child, I um, started birth control. I started the patch and I had the patch for maybe a year. And then my doctor was telling me about um, the NuvaRing. And then I started that because I didn't have to stick anything on. I just had to um, insert it and leave it um, for, I don't know, a month or so, and then just, you know, keep doing it. And so then I think I stopped with the NuvaRing and because I didn't want to use anything. And then I got pregnant again with my second child. It was after my second child was born in 2007 that I was like, I don't want to have any more children right now. Of course, the doctors offer when you have a baby. Um, and I don't know why I could come up with several reasons. But my first two experiences, the first thing they offer is like birth control. Mm -hmm. That's the, the, as far as me delivering a baby, any conversations that are had in that room, I remember being that's the one question I remember being asked. It was what type of birth control? Not even do you want it? It was kind of like what type insinuating that you're gonna get it. Hmm. And I was uh, 20 in college. My mom was helping me take care of my first child. So it wasn't ideal to just go around having children. And instead of me saying, hey, let me be abstinent, I was like, well, I still want to have sex, but I don't want to have babies. So let's do this. And they offered me the IUD and then they sold it by telling me that I could keep it in for five years and not get pregnant. So I'm like, oh, I'm good for five years. Well, for five years, that was that that was the time when I say I suppressed. I did not have a cycle for five years because of the new because of the um morena that was the name of it the iud and the way the morena works it works two ways it releases hormones is one way and then another way it's shaped like a t so it kind of makes a wall so nothing can um go out or come in is, is how they explain it so from 2007 until 2012 so to give a good timeline from November of 2007 to February of 2012, I did not have a cycle because that IUD was placed. Right. 
and actually, I understand the way that the IUD works to be a bit different. Okay. They explained to you. Um, my understanding is that the IUD, the shape of it is, it's a T, mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a flat, narrow piece of something. It can't, mm -hmm. it can't make a wall. I didn't think it could because I'm like, well, what is it? It has to be too small, but at the same time, that was what they said. So of course yeah, they, they weren't telling <laughs> you the truth. Obviously. Um, so what it really does is that it irritates the inside of your womb constantly. Mm -hmm. causing, I'm sure. Causing inflammation and an inability for a healthy endometrial lining to develop. Makes perfect sense. And without a healthy endometrial lining, the egg can't implant even if it's fertilized and it passes. But without a healthy endometrial lining, you also don't bleed. Now, that's the effect that it has on some women. Some women have excessive bleeding or mm -hmm. I've been told. all kinds of crazy symptoms. Um, yeah, and, and just the idea, and, and it's, it's shocking to me that um, they would give you that explanation. I mean, I'm not sure it should be shocking because I am fully aware of how uh, the, the, you know, the systemic racism in the medical system right now. But I also have heard that this is the same kind of, well, not that kind of a blatant lie actually with, with white women going in and getting an IUD. I've not heard that kind of a blatant lie um, reported to me. Uh, but that to a was a 20 year old, <laughs> a 20 year old, but that was like mine. So, so, okay. So again, I just want to take a moment to be with that hurt and bring our loving attention to, to that, those moments that you've described. Um, because even again, they just were not honoring your, your, uh, reproductive sovereignty and your ability to make your own choices, not even asking you what you might want and offering you things and telling you lies about them. And um, it's, it's really heartbreaking and I just wanna hold that with you for a moment here. And I invite listeners to do the same. <sighs> and let it inspire us to, um, to action and you know perhaps you I know that your work has uh, ways that we can take action um, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about that um, but after we um, continue with this of course um, is there anything you, else you need or, or would like to honor that moment that you that you just described these moments of, of systemic mistreatment um no it's nothing else that i need i do i i i appreciate i extremely appreciate because i i've mentioned my story you know uh just a little bit when i say my story just in bits and pieces here and there the conversation comes up but people typically you know don't know what to say because maybe they haven't experienced it um or they just, you know, don't know what to say. So I appreciate that even in that moment when I shared it, there was a, a, a moment of, of relief that someone hears what I'm saying and understands and is just aware um, because that it was, it was horrific. It, it was so many questions, so many, unanswered questions, so many empty spaces, so many holes that I had to kind of figure out on my own when I shouldn't have had to. And blatant lies, blatant lies. Yes. And it, it was, I felt like I, later on my, what I believed it to be was that I was kind of like a guinea pig too. 
because when I started the Morena, it was in 2007, and I don't, I think it had just, that particular brand of IUD was new. Mm. And it seemed as if at that point, the things that I was given was new. Hey, we had this, you know, try this out. Um, there wasn't any, there wasn't many tests done um, looking back in retrospect. Oh. That's the historical origins of Western, you know, modern gynecology, mm -hmm. experimenting on black women. Yep. <laughs> and it's still going on today. I'm saying this for listeners. You know this, I know this. I'm saying this for listeners who this might be new to. Um, I say it often. <laughs> This isn't the first time I've said this, but we're saying it again. And here we are hearing in your story that is still going on today. Um, so the, the one thing that I, I did research after the ectopic, I, it was, it just, it did not make sense. And when I say, so we, we talked about not talking about my, we hadn't talked about my pregnancies. When I talk about my pregnancies, my first pregnancy was it could have been horrible just to give and what the reason I say it could have been so I was I was 18 I was in my freshman year of college at the time um my background is I grew up Baptist in church that was my religion and with that religion the belief is you're not supposed to have sex until you're married I did my best and I did not have sex until I got to college. Um, but I just believe that if I knew why I wasn't having sex until I got married versus it just being like a no, then there would have been so much more understanding. But anyway, I, um, with my boyfriend, I tell people it was so funny because I knew classmates of mine that had been having sex and they were like 13. And here I am, a college student, I'm 18. I think I literally had sex maybe three times before I got pregnant. And then I become pregnant and then there was this whole denial thing because I was like, well, I can't be pregnant. Um, I go to church. I'm a good girl. Like all of these, I have no idea. Like I look back at that, that Eden and I'm like, girl. <laughs> but that was, that was my mindset. So then when I actually, I went to the school infirmary and I went because I felt like I was full every day, but I had not eaten anything. That was how I, I explained it to the nurse. And she was like, okay, well, let's just get a urine sample. And then she goes with my urine and she comes back. And I remember she had the biggest smile on her face. And she told me, she was like, you're 19 and a half weeks pregnant. And I was like, confused, one, why is she smiling? She knows I'm a kid pretty much. I'm 18, but I'm, I'm like nowhere near adult. But she smiles and she tells me this. And then 19 and a half weeks, I've gone, I'm almost through the second trimester with carrying a baby. And there's like, instead of anybody telling me what to do as far as how do I carry a baby, there's more conversations about why, in fact, I have a baby inside of me being unmarried. So there's all these gaps and holes. Um, I did, however, from that 19 and a half week mark until I delivered, the 19 and a half week mark for me was in April and I delivered the baby in August. During that time, I was living by myself in the dorm and I had a routine. And I don't know if it was the baby, I think Salma, you might be the expert at this right here, but I don't know if it was the baby that I was carrying or just my mindset, but that from that in that time from April to August, there was a lot of peace around me. Um, and it's funny because my he's 16 years years old now, but he's a very peaceful child. He mm -hmm. ignites peace. He he ignites love. He ignites everything having to do with like understanding he's just he has a lot of compassion 
he's always trying to find some way to counsel or, or help like that's the type of person he is but that was how my life was between april and august i had a routine i did i went to class i worked at the library i went to work after class i ate pretty much the same thing but it was like almost a, a vegan slash vegetarian diet that i had never done before but for whatever reason my baby wanted me to eat salad and fruit every day <laughs> and I, I exercise. And then I was to myself. Um, my mom would come to my school on Sundays and she would take me to get dinner and then take me back. And that was how that time was. I, it was carrying him was a, was, like I said, it was very peaceful and the, delivery for him the labor and delivery from for him I think it took about an hour and a half and wow. I don't remember pain um I did have an epidural but I had it uh at the time they wouldn't give it to me until I had dilated six centimeters and by the time I had dilated six centimeters and they had found the anesthesiologist and she had came in, I was at seven and I think like 20 minutes after she left and had administered the epidural, I was pushing. I don't, I, can, it I don't. It hasn't taken effect. It hasn't <laughs> taken effect yet. It hadn't. <laughs> but you still had no pain, even though the epidural hadn't taken effect. There was no pain. And, and here's the thing. My son was born with a teratoma. What's a teratoma? It's, um, I guess like a tumor. It's a tumor, um, and it was on the back of his left side of his of his head, and now he has this long scar there because he had to have surgery when he was three months old. Um, but he was born, and I carried him with that. It was also they told my the doctors had told my mom that when I when we went finally went to the doctor and when I found out I was nineteen and a half weeks pregnant. Um, we, when we went to that first doctor's appointment, had the ultrasound and they saw it, it was the size of a golf ball. So you can imagine a 19 and a half week old fetus and a golf ball. And they're like the same size. Mm -hmm. Um, so they had encouraged my mom for me to terminate the pregnancy. My mom was against it. She didn't tell me any of this until my son was three years old. Wow. But, yes. Um, she was against it. And so she told them we would just see how it goes. So the tumor stopped growing. He continued to grow. Um, and when they thought that when I delivered him, that he would have to go into emergency surgery, but he didn't. He was able to be delivered and then three months after he had to get it removed it was benign and they it had teeth and hair in it That's so they i thought that a teratoma and oftentimes what they say about these teratomas in utero is that there might have been a twin yeah that's what they said. that then got absorbed into the body of the other baby mm -hmm. um so but even though that was the experience it was still a lot of peace the labor and delivery was peaceful. Everything was peaceful as far as how I, I stayed away from people that I think that was the main thing. Um, <laughs> and I was to myself and it was just me and him. And so that was, that was my first pregnancy. Um, my second pregnancy was, um, it was a little bit different. It was, a little bit more it was it was more stressful um even we need to take a pause for a second here hold on so um our timing has our timing is running out here and i'm on the edge of my seat to hear about the second pregnancy and what's all leading up to this whole um womb-centered healing journey so we're going to need to take a part two listeners um so stay tuned uh we're gonna pause this story here and um, 
and let us all reflect on what's been shared in this podcast with Eden today and the wisdom coming here. I do want you to share, Eden, however, that you you do have, um, you've taken action to help others who may have been misled, had misinformation about menstrual products. We haven't even gotten into all of that in detail yet. We will in part two, I promise. (laughs) But um, the things that you have discovered about menstrual products and birth control, and you've developed products, uh, educational educational and practical products to um, bring to your community to help other people in your community, other women in your community, not have to go through some of these struggles that you've been through around your your um, reproductive sovereignty and health so um would you please share about where people can learn more about this yes um my company is named hygiene and it's spelled h-y-g-e-n-i-e-e hygiene and you can follow us on instagram that's where we put most of the material as far as education um, at Hygiene. And then we also have Hygiene.com where you can find all natural um, feminine care products. And that's anything from your washes to your pads, to your tampons, your liners, your wipes. We are expanding daily. So um, there'll be more products there and basically like i tell most people i'm trying to be the um all natural safe zone for feminine care products kind of like the walmart of feminine care all natural so that's where you can locate me and then we also have a blog that's on hygiene.com that talks about different things such as the conversations like what we're having here beautiful all right so Stay tuned, listeners, for part two, uh, because I'm sure that there's more fascinating and moving stories that you have to tell to motivate us all to support your project and, um, and help more women have, have accurate information and safe, healthy ways of caring for, for our reproductive health. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, and listeners know that you can learn more about what's going on at the Womb Centered Healing Temple at wombcenteredhealing.com. Thanks so much. That's all for now. Until next time.